Meena Kandasamy is an Indian poet, writer, translator, anti-caste activist, an academic who was described by The Independent as a one-woman agitprop literary political movement. And that one-woman agitprop literary political movement is coming to Australia for Adelaide Writers Week. Meena, welcome to Sunday Extra. Hello, hi. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Could you tell us first up about the events behind the poem whose name is the title of your latest anthology, Tomorrow Someone Will Arrest You? The poem uh, of the book, Tomorrow Someone Will Arrest You, is something that was written in 2015 when two of my very close friends who were human rights activists were arrested under the very oppressive, draconian anti-terrorism law. All of the work that they were doing, it was what you would call, you know, broadly environmental justice or feminist justice, just to be called terrorist and to be called, you know, all kinds of names and to have to undergo trial without any bail. I mean, it was so harrowing and to realize that this could happen to anyone. So it it, it was a poem that started as a kind of series of Facebook posts <laughs> and then it almost became like a chant. And then I decided, yeah, to write this as a poem and I have performed it given that those events were in 2015. Is the situation any better or worse in India today? So in 2015, obviously it was the test case, right? It's the beginning of the present regime uh, that has now been in power for about a decade. And I think it's got increasingly worse. At the time, it still made sense to go after, quote unquote, people who are broadly on the left, people who are seen as, you know, sympathetic to Marxism, people who are seen in some ways as enemies of the state. But I think that uh, in these intervening 10 years, it has gotten very worse because now journalists are facing these cases. Lawyers are facing these cases. Human rights activists are facing these cases. Writers have been imprisoned under these cases. And therefore, I do think that the threat of using the legal machinery to contain voices and to subdue any kind of resistance and dissent does keep happening. Mm. Mina, could you tell us about the family that you grew up in and how that shaped you as an activist and as an artist? My mother was a mathematician. All over the world, you know, women in STEM are like a minority. And in India, it was even more specific because not only were she women mathematician, but she also belonged to the lower caste in a field that was dominated not only by men, but men of the upper caste. And I watched my mother wage at least a two or three decade long struggle against the institution where she was working, asking for representation, asking for affirmative action to be implemented. And I think that kind of shaped how I looked at issues of social justice and identity politics as well. And my father was a, is a Tamil scholar. So they both were like, you know, an intercaste couple. They married against caste norms. My father comes from a nomadic tribe. In that sense, we grew up as children without having either of our parental families become part of a larger family. So my parents picked up their own friends, you know, people who were like sympathizers of various movements or, you know, activists, writers, artists. And uh, my home became this kind of safe space or safe meeting place for all these, um, what you would call, um, I don't know, the state would call them dangerous, but <laughs> I would say very interesting people. So obviously, you know, people who did not want to play by the rules, people whose primary affiliation was not caste, whose primary affiliation was not family. So we kind of forged that larger space. So growing up in this space, I think it really influenced me a great, great deal. Can you give us some insights into how deeply caste has affected your life and how it affects things even today? 
even if I am a person who belongs to this, you know, mixed caste or anti-caste parentage, I still come from privilege. You know, I'm an English speaking person. I'm still a PhD holder. My parents are both academics. I support myself. I finally ended up marrying a Belgian, not marrying, but living together and raising children with a Belgian. So I see myself as a privileged person uh, in some ways, even though I might not be privileged in the caste hierarchy. But for me, this is important to say because you fight against the system irrespective of where you are in your in your life. And I don't think that my opposition to caste is just because I have a tale of misery. My opposition to caste is because ideologically this is the right thing to do. And also I have seen like the way it destroy other people's life, the way it could destroy let's say, my mother's life in a very intellectual landscape or the the way my father had to go through enormous amount of childhood poverty, deprivation, destitution because of, you know, not uh, not having support systems. He was the first person in his family to finish school or even college and then go to university and all of these things. So in many ways, it's like a huge leap for me and I'm very aware of it. At the same time, I, I feel that we should never reduce caste to individualized autobiographical stories. Because the system is so oppressive and it's so widespread and literally like if you say one-fifth of 1.2 billion people are considered Dalit and have daily atrocities against them and if intermarrying in some cases and even like last week in a big metropolis like Chennai there was a Hona killing because of an intercaste marriage. So and I think that it's all around you and it's so vicious and I think that you know you have to speak out against it irrespective of whether you have the lived experience or you were victim yourself. One of the reasons I asked that, though, is because one of your poems notes that even at literary events, caste can be an active factor and something that you've encountered. I think at least when I was starting out, it's much more like, oh, you're here because this is, you know, uh, denominational or this is how diversity in action works. So suggesting that you're a token presence, that's that's the thing, yeah? Yeah, yeah, but, uh, but, uh, but uh, the thing is, Julian, it's never gone away. Right. Like today, I'm a member of the Royal Society of Literature in the UK. And you see this huge scandal and everyone's there's almost a witch hunt of Bandi Neveristo going on. And and what what's the reason? Like she inducted 20 people or possibly 40 people who were people of color, writers of color into the society where the average age was, you know, 70 plus, And there were like more people who are more than 100 years old than there were people less than 40 <laughs> years old. So it's like, you know, this was a whole white male conclave. And just because people were being represented and then everyone's like, oh, merit is lost, literary quality is lost, capital L literature is lost. That's the pushback. This pushback operates on so many levels. In India, it's this, you know, coded casteism. Uh, and you move out of the country and you realize it's like, okay, you're no longer identified only by your caste. You're identified much more by the fact that, you know, you're a brown person or you're an Indian or you know, you're a first generation immigrant or that you don't have the right accent or that you didn't go to the... And I think the worst elitism actually and an elitism of which I think even white working class people suffer is that you don't go to the right institutes. You're not from Cambridge, you're not from Oxford. And, you know, you, you don't have the right circle of friends. And I think this kind of elitism runs totally counter to arts because what is art? Art is us looking for a better world, us imagining the world through beauty. So... I think that, you know, it's everywhere. It's, you know, you move, you move from one place to another and you're going to somehow encounter some form of this. On RN, we're speaking with Mina Kandasami, poet, writer, translator, anti-caste activist and academic. You're many things, Mina, and that made me wonder, as a novelist and a translator and an academic, every time you write, you've got more choices of form and language to make than most people. In that context, could you tell us about 
the choice to write poems in English. Okay, this is quite interesting, and there are two two aspects of this answer. Oh, first is why English. Um, I think one of this is the anxiety of uh, having your father, who's a Tamil scholar, and not only a Tamil <laughs> scholar, slightly quirky man who believes that all of the best Tamil literature stopped at the sixth century or something. <laughs> the, class, the classic scholars. So, uh, and the second thing is obviously under India's federal system, we have a very interesting combination of education. So I couldn't manage to learn my mother tongue. I was educated in Hindi and English. I always thought, you know, I had to find home in one language. But I also contrarily think, sometimes I go back and think, oh, why not Tamil? Why not Tamil? You know, it's my mother tongue. It's But sometimes I think, would I be able to exist with all of these contradictions in Tamil? Will mm. Tamil allow me to express myself as, let's say, A, sexually limited, B, you know, the space to be a queer person, three, the space to be absolutely controversial, four, the space to also, you know, shut down, shut down on some chauvinism or shut down on, you know, things. Also, the fifth is obviously amplified beyond any gatekeeping because, of, you know, when you're writing in your mother tongue, you still rely on translators, Try still rely to get a broader audience. So I think that it was not a choice as much as, you know, a host of factors that led me there. And I'm happy with this identity for me, or for myself, on for my writing in English. Uh, in terms of the form, uh, this is quite interesting because over the last uh, 10 years, since my last poetry collection, Miss Militancy, I ended up writing three novels and long-form essays and a lot of stuff. But the poetry kept happening at very crucial points. This poetry kept happening when I was writing, you know, like reacting to the gang rape in Delhi or reacting to the citizenship protests in all over all over India because, you know, they wanted to exclude some people from citizenship. It happened during the time of COVID. So these poems were written at very particular historical or political junctures. And uh, I still feel that Poetry offers you, for at least two reasons, a very important way of making yourself heard, which is the first reason, um, and showing resistance. And the second reason for me is to reclaim language. In some ways, that answers the next question, which I was going to ask you, feeling a little bit hesitant, perhaps, but it's, I feel I can ask the question because it's a question that you ask yourself in your poems. Uh, Mina, what is the use of a poem in this season of hate? Uh, okay, thank you. I think that uh, we always talk about the imposter syndrome, but it, it's one thing to fool people. But I think it's the worst thing is to actually live a lie. You know, you can't lie to yourself. And I always question myself. So what's the point of art? What's the point of what I'm doing? And I think with poetry, I have stopped asking that question because I see I see it in work. So the first thing when I talked about reclaiming language is that we live under neoliberalism. We live under this very imperialist world order where you see that, you know, Every the use of every word is policed, right? And uh, on the other hand, you realize that the oppressive structures uh, take away people's words of resistance. They try to make these words disappear. And therefore, you have to reclaim this space for yourself, reclaim these words. A poet can be brazen and say these very bare facts. That's for me, I think, very important. And the second thing in terms of poetry is that I come from a culture, at least in Tamil Nadu, where every political meeting always starts, like before the leaders speak, there's always a round of poetry readings. So poetry is very intrinsically tied to capturing the politics, capturing and, you know, reacting to politics. And poetry is also very widely cited. I always see that poetry has this enormous capacity to A, provoke and B, like just disrupt, you know. So I think disruption is very important. Like, in Tamil, the word for art is kalai. And kalai is also the word that says disturb, destroy, dismantle. And I really think these two go hand in hand very, very closely. 
Mina Kandasamy, thank you so much for speaking with us on RN. Thank you. That is poet, writer, translator, anti-caste activist, academic and visitor to Adelaide Writers Week on the 4th of March, Mina Kandasamy. And in 2022, Mina received the Penn Herman Keston Prize for her writing and work as a fearless fighter for democracy, human rights and the free word. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.